It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the final podcast of the year from New Scientist. I'm Rowan Hooper and for this episode, we thought we'd share some of our favourite long reads that we've published over the last 12 months. But it's too big a task for one person alone. You know, we publish so much over the year. So to help me out here, I've recruited some staff from Features Team. Kat Delange, magazine editor. Dan Cousins, Features editor, head of Features. And Alison George, who's another Features editor. Welcome all of you. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Right, Kat, we want to give a flavour of some of these uh, stories that we've picked out. And we want to hear a bit about the process that went into making them and all of that. But... Tell us about the holiday gift that you are donating. Yes, so we've picked five of these amazing feature articles. And I should say this is premium content. So this is usually only available to our paid subscribers. And we are going to make them free to you to read between the 25th of December and the end of the year. Amazing. And how do we get hold of these these gifts? Uh, We'll put a link uh, in the show notes and then you can um, get access and just click on the stories you want to read and they'll all be up at newscientist.com too. Excellent. All right, let's get into it. These are all cover features as well. So we can talk a bit about, um, you know, the process that went into the cover, design and the thinking behind that as well. And we've got physical copies here to look at to remind ourselves. Um, So what, like we've got the longevity diet. This is um, how knowing what to eat and when can help you stay young. Dan, what have you got? So I've got a couple. I've got, first of all, I've got A New Dawn for Physics. The Large Hadron Collider finds strongest hints yet of a game-changing new particle. Mm. And I've also got Is Consciousness Fundamental to the Cosmos? Which is a question on everyone's minds, I'm sure. <laughs> Rethinking the relationship between mind and matter. You've got the easy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Ali, what have you got? I've got Secrets of the World's First Civilizations: How AI is Decoding the Lost Stories of Ancient Mesopotamia. And Kat, the last one is? So I've got How to Beat Insomnia, The Real Reason You Can't Sleep and What to Do About It. Mm. All right, look, let's start with Mesopotamia. Um, Ali, you wrote this, so set it up for us. It's all about decoding the mysteries of the world's first writing that we know of, which is called cuneiform, which started out about 5,000 years ago in a place called Mesopotamia. So that is now Iraq or part of Iraq. And it's the Fertile Crescent, isn't it? It's where uh, the first civilization arose, where agriculture first got going. So that's why we're interested in this region, isn't it? Yes, well, it's an amazing place. Um, 
Nowadays, ancient Egypt seems to hog all the limelight, but at a similar time, there were these amazing civilizations of this people called the Sumerians and the Babylonians. And these are the people who wrote in the cuneiform script. And we, we've got so many documents written by them, but few people know about them. And they were in these amazing societies and did amazing things. What is it because they just didn't leave pyramids and stuff behind as much as the Egyptians? Is that it? Why, why don't we know as much about them? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I've got to say, ancient Egypt is really amazing. I mean, all the artefacts and pyramids they Yeah, we're not dissing Egypt here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to big up um, the other amazing civilizations that were around at the same time. And they wrote in this script called cuneiform. Right, so tell us about cuneiform. What is it? It is made by pressing the end of a reed into moist clay to make wedge-like shapes. So you get these tablets with all these little sort of etchings on them um, that records um, different languages that were used at the time. Okay, and we crack the code of reading them, right? We know how to to translate them to whatever language they're in. But the, the whole point of your story that you found is there's been a whole new way of like piecing them together, right? And deciphering them. Yes, yeah, so um, the languages that were written in cuneiform were, were decoded over a hundred years ago. That's an, a story in itself. But we've got this amazing uh, number of documents in this tablet form, and most of them have never been read because there's so many of them, very few people can read uh, cuneiform. There are so many documents. It's just a nightmare to read. It's different languages there is no space between the characters it's very ambiguous lots of pieces are missing from the tablets so most of it is just either never been read or never been translated so you've got this amazing document that we know nothing about but what we're using artificial intelligence now to sort of piece them all together like it's all been smashed up and the the ai can work out how it all goes together Yes, yeah, so um, there's lots and lots of bits of fragments of these tablets because they're very fragile. They get broken up and then they've been distributed around museums, say in Baghdad, London, Frankfurt. And working out how they get together is a nightmare. So there's all these amazing initiatives using artificial intelligence to work out which bits fit with which bits. And so using this system, there's some very famous um, works of literature, one called the Epic of Gilgamesh, and still bits of it are missing, but um, AI has found some missing parts of these stories. And these, these are stories that resonate today. Like one of, one of the parts of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is about a mythical king and his quest for eternal life, has a story in it which is, appears to be very similar to the flood story, which later appeared in the Bible. So these are really, really important works of literature, and we can't read them in full. But the aim is, with AI, to find the missing pieces and translate tablets that are stored all around the world, we can finally read these, this writing in, it, in, it for, in fullness for the first time since antiquity. Well, that is incredible, isn't it? To have this window into people who are living and doing stuff 5,000 years ago and just to be able to wake that up again. It's, ama- is, it's amazing. Yeah. And what I love about this story as well is that you actually went there, Ali, didn't you? You went to the British Museum, you met the researchers who were doing it, they gave you exclusive kind of behind-the-scenes access and you just wrote this charming story that that unlocks all these secrets. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I had the most amazing day at the British Museum. I went to um, Vaulted Library, which um, isn't open to the public. It's got high arch ceilings. And there you're surrounded by these drawers which contain um, all the tablets in the collection there. 
And wow. this, I was with the the um, a man called uh, Irving Finkel. Um, to give his official title, he is Assistant Keeper of Ancient Mesopotamian Script, Languages and Cultures. And he was pulling open these drawers and just picking up these tablets. And it's so hard to read, but he was staring at them. You know, it could be in Sumerian language or Babylonian. And he was saying, oh, this is a prayer to the god Marduk, or this is a list of omens. So it was just magical. Yeah. What an amazing experience. I I need to cook up a reason to get to the British Museum and do that. (laughs) And um, Ali, what does someone like Irving Finkel sort of... Because there's very few people in the world who can understand this language, right? Who can read this language. And without being too harsh, they don't seem like the sort of people who might be into AI. So sort of how does, did you get an impression of how they feel about using AI to sort of help their quest? Well, I did imagine that, you know, people who work in this field might be quite old fashioned, but they were absolutely delighted that these amazing stories and this amazing writing is being brought to life again and and so when I was there there was a photographer taking these really detailed pictures of all the tablets you have to take them from the front and the back and the sides because the writing sort of spreads around and that is being used to form um, a digital library of these tablets um, so that everyone in the world can access them you don't have to go to the back rooms of museums although I must say I recommend that Um, so everyone will be able to see these um, tablets and because the collections might be in, in all around the world, you can then piece these old libraries back together again digitally, even if they're not physically in one piece in the real world. Amazing. And what's also amazing about these tablets is they, they're crumbled, and some of them have got burnt marks where libraries were smashed and burnt. You can really see the life of these tablets um, yeah. sort of written in their physical form. It's a magical story. Secrets of the world's first civilizations. That's our first free gift for the holiday period. Dan, let's have some physics. So, yeah, this is a kind of a, a, a dose of particle physics, really, and it's about some blips at the Large Hadron Collider that sort of give us some hints that there might be a new force of nature, basically. And so it, it's about the LHC, LHCb experiment, which is one of the detectors at the Large Hadron Collider, and they measure these subatomic particles called beauty quarks. Mm. Um, <laughs> Hence the B in the LHCb. Right. And so what they watch these particles decay, which means they sort of transform into other particles. And what they've seen over a number of years now is sort of hints of them decaying in a way that isn't predicted by the standard model of particle physics, which is sort of our best picture of how particles and forces work. Yeah, there was lots of rumours and there was a yeah. lot of excitement at the start of the year, wasn't there? And then uh, there was a lot of, uh, amongst physicists, bubbling around. There was a lot of something was coming and then this this popped up. Exactly. And... and um, so a physicist I, I know at the University of Cambridge called Harry Cliff happened to sort of tip me off to say that there was they were going to be publishing, who also works at the LHCB, I should say, tip me off that there's going to be a, a paper coming out toward the, uh, the start of the year that would sort of firm up some of these anomalies and, and make them less likely to be some sort of statistical artefact or fluke. Mm. And then he also pointed out that there was evidence coming from other experiments like a muon collider elsewhere. And he was excited because... All the, these different strands, these different lines of evidence point in the same direction, which is basically they suggest there's a new force carrying particle that is somehow acting on, you know, electrons and muons to create these anomalous blips in the data. All right. And the theorists then then obviously jump on this and they and they reckon that it could be what they call a leptoquark or a Z prime, these, these new force carrying particles that would not only explain the sort of mysterious 
three generations of particles, you know, that are set that are sort of separated in three categories of mass, yeah. but would also help us to sort of unify the three forces of nature we know of other than gravity, which are the electromagnetic force, the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. Well, so the, so we know that like electromagnetic force is carried by a particle mm -hmm. that's a photon, yeah. but it's also a wave. Yeah. And so what they're thinking they found is as another thing like a photon, another particle yeah. that can carry a force. Exactly. And, and also we don't know what the new force is either. Well, we, we have an idea of some of the properties what it would have, but that, you know... It hasn't got a name yet, though. Well, no, they, they have a name for the particle, a leptoquark or a Z prime, but the force itself, no, doesn't seem to have a name. I could be wrong there, but yeah. But the idea is that it would somehow sort of unify the leptons and the quarks, which are two categories of particles, and sort of then push us toward this unification in the sense that they're both sort of one and the same force at a higher energy scale. You know, we see them as they are now, but at a higher energy scale, perhaps much earlier in the universe, as I understand it, you know, they would have been one in the same. So they sort of unify it, make it into sort of a, a coherent theoretical structure. And that would be a massive deal. I mean, as Harry himself says in the in the piece, you know, if this stuff does turn out to be true, and we still don't know because it's particle physics, it <laughs> takes a long time for these yeah. things to firm up, but it would be a massive deal. I think he says it would be the biggest discovery, you know, since the, the standard model was put together. So we're talking biggest discovery in decades here. Yeah. Wow. So it would change our entire understanding of the universe. And it's what Fizz has been waiting for, isn't it? Absolutely. They've been, everyone's been pulling their hair out about, mm -hmm. we can't find anything wrong with the standard model, but we really want to. And now there might be something, a crack has appeared or something. Well, exactly. Else. And that's why you get these stories where there's like a tiny anomaly and all, and everyone like goes ambulance chasing after it, you know, desperate, because they're desperate for some guide on where the new physics is, what's beyond the standard model, yeah. you know, our current picture. And I was interested with, so... Harry brought you the story or tipped you off about it, but you had to wait until the the results came out. But so, well, did it just allow you to get ready for it? Well, there were some complications there. It was quite difficult to the timing of it because when they're publishing a paper, you know, they don't really necessarily know exactly when it's coming come out. They were publishing it on the archive rather than in a, in a journal, you know, which is like a preprint yeah. uh, place. And so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sort of. Uh, you're well, sort of in a holding pattern. Aren't yeah, you? You, kind of waiting. you kind of have to figure out whether it's better to wait so you can divulge exactly what's in the paper or publish it first when you, you kind of have a hint, but you can't necessarily say all the details. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end, we went with the latter because there's just no guarantee of when that paper's going to be published, you know. But then I, I think the nice thing about this story was that yeah, Harry came to me and with this story and Harry's kind of unique in that he's a works on the LHCB, so he knows this stuff inside out, mm. uh, and he's able to articulate really difficult concepts in a really clear way. But he's also has this sort of, I would say, a sort of a journalist's eye for a story, you know, and is able to bring out the telling details of the people involved and the moments of revelation and their doubts. And so it becomes a story, yes, about theoretical particle physics experiments, but also about the people who are doing it. And it, it, for me, it made for a very satisfying story. Yeah. It made your job very easy. It did. It did. It well, was a rare e blend, isn't it, yeah. to have all of that in one writer. Yeah. And, um, and even though this was at the beginning of the year, everything he's talking about it is still totally relevant because we, you know, we're still working out what this blip is. Absolutely. So, yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The next one is the longevity diet. How knowing what to eat and when can help you stay young. Cat, tell us about this. You know, yeah, have love, you adopted I, the diet? Uh, so, um, some of it. And you I have, have actually as well. Have you? Well, yeah. I mean, you. Well, so, spoiler: you need to eat lots of beans. That's how the future starts. But um, can I just say how much I love the cover of this one? I just mm. think it's so beautiful. And there was a lot of discussion around this whether we should have um, a tortoise on the cover as the kind of symbol of longevity, <laughs> or whether we should have this amazing woman that has like fish and potatoes and clocks in her and her hairdo yeah um so i'm glad we went with her because i think she looks fabulous yeah but this was you know this is was the most popular feature story that we did this year it absolutely went gangbusters and i think the reason for that is because you know it sounds so obvious to say that what you eat can add years to your life obviously we know that if you eat too much you know processed food and red meat and junk basically it's going to shave years off your life and if mm. you eat really well then that's going to be really good and it affects all sorts of diseases like you know cardiovascular disease and diabetes and all the rest of it but that's not what this story is about this is really about bringing together some really good in-depth research that has taken decades to do in all sorts of fields from sort of epidemiology to clinical trials aging um, looking at centenarians, looking at the people who live in these so-called sort of blue zones where people live a really long time and bringing it all together to ask what is the diet that adds years to your life? Mm. And, you know, based on that evidence, the claim is that it could add, you know, if you're switching from a sort of typical Western diet, it could add 10 or even 20 years to your life. Yeah, that, that really jumped out, didn't it? Like um, this is written by our staff writer, Graham Lawton. And at the beginning of the piece, or somewhere in the piece, Graham says, yeah, this could add a decade to my life. Yeah, uh, and the, and the earlier you start doing it, the better. Yeah. And what I like about this is, as you say, it brings together all the research done on it. So you can really feel like, yeah, this is not just someone asserting with prior commitment to some other cause, you know, that they think this is what you should do. This is like balanced look at all the things that work and what doesn't. The one I adopted is the the 16-8 fasting mm. thing, right? Do you, have you done that I, at all? I, I do that periodically, actually. I do increasingly from this and from other stuff that I've written about the benefit of sort of taking a break from eating mm. regularly. Yeah, is... well, so the 16-8 fasting is like you you fast for 16 hours and you eat in an eight-hour window. And that basically, for me, I just that means you stop eating at 8 p.m. and then skip breakfast and just start again at noon the next day and that's that's re- i found that quite doable like mm-hmm. not every day mm-hmm. yeah but um it's really doable and and uh, you know the advantage is apparently really really good so yeah and i think well. the, the the fasting bit is one bit of this story but it's also i think one thing i like about it and, and if you read the read the article you'll see this but it kind of hits that sweet spot but you know we're not we're not giving medical advice 
And so sometimes when you do this stuff, it can get a little bit in the weeds of the research. But this was really something is what we call you, you know, news you can use yeah. in the story. It actually says like this is how many grams of this you should eat and how many grams of that and you should eat. And it made me realize I eat too many eggs if I want to live longer, mm. longer. So it is, you know, it's useful, but it's also it comes with caveats and some of the research is still in early days. So. Yeah, but no surprise it was the biggest hit of the year across the board. No surprise. So, and there. we're making it available free. <laughs> Aren't we amazing, you gentlemen? A good New Year's resolution Fantastic. there. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Kat. What's next? It is insomnia. We're finally waking up to the causes of insomnia and how to treat it. Anyone suffer from insomnia? Not at the moment. Not I have done in the past, but 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 it's generally anxiety induced. So yeah. whereas I th I think I'm not sure if if it, insomnia has an official definition that, that sort of precludes that. It does have an official definition, and it is quite a sort of uh, in depth definition. Uh, and yet, amazingly, I think it's one in ten people um, suffer from insomnia at some point. And yeah. I mean, I've certainly had periods of it, and it is awful. I mean, yeah. it is, you know, you sort of throw the word around but if you can't sleep it is absolutely debilitating to your life and I think that's why this story also did so well mm. um, and also because people there just aren't very many good treatments for insomnia a lot of the drugs that are out there have a lot of side effects that actually so we go into this in the story but a lot of the drugs that are available when you look at the data that they're, they're just not very eff effective and some of the more sort of psychological approaches as well don't work very well mm. and in this story it sort of brings together a kind of new wave of research that is finally bringing some really sound evidence on what what works for insomnia um, and it's another beautiful cover isn't it it's is very beautiful I think what with, was the um, thinking behind, um, you know, how do you go about commissioning the cover? You know, do you sort of give a brief to the art director and say this is the kind of thing we want? And yeah, and I think with stories like sleep and exercise and that kind of stuff, it, you know, you can you can be so cliched with it and you just sort of think of all that like stock imagery that you see everywhere. Mm. And it's sort of how do you take something that seems a bit, you know, everyday and and make it feel magical you know, yeah. like, something that's kind of horrible insomnia yeah. but it makes it somehow magical that cover yeah and i think that you know you sort of wanted to have a bit of whimsy with this one and yeah like you say not make it kind of completely miserable mm. even though it's a miserable condition have a bit of because ultimately the story is one of hope because it's about bringing treatments to people and so you know i think this cover is a hopeful one where this woman is kind of drifting mm. you know in her Asleep, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Because I, I do recall on this one, and my suggestion was to have someone um, imprisoned by the shadow of their sort of bed, their slattered bedstead, which was obviously a terrible idea. But it, but at least it goes into it sort of gives you an idea of you know the sort of process you go through to say no, that's not going to work. That's too scary you and have horrible. To all the options, that's good. Uh, brilliant. So that's how to be insomnia. Right. The last of our free stories, we're gonna, we've got the small, small problem of um, solving consciousness, and this this story is about a new place for consciousness in our understanding of the universe. So it's not even just understanding consciousness on its own, but also its place in the universe. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say it's actually more the latter. Like we we do lots of stories on consciousness, obviously, because it's like enduringly fascinating. It's among the most profound mysteries there are. As Anil Seth has said in our pages, it is sort of, who's a neuroscientist, in, in a sense, it is all there is. You know, everything we know, everything we experience is based on our consciousness. And yet we can't say 
how physical matter, you know, your your sort of your brain essentially, all of the the normal physical matter in your brain gives rise to subjective experience. But but I guess this story's not not really about that. No. It's it's more about how we account for subjective experience in our understanding of the universe because physicists are trying to explain the universe and everything in it and in doing so they they strive for what they call like what or what we can call a view from nowhere you know a sort of an objective perspective that excludes the observer essentially mm. and but for all its successes you know einstein's general relativity perhaps being the, the best you know the most striking of them Physicists are having to now confront the realization that you can't just ignore the role of the observer, and that's particularly apparent when you when it comes to quantum mechanics, which is the sort of the laws you know that govern the the very small the subatomic world. And when you get into that, you sort of one interpretation of quantum theory is that actually we as observers, every time we we sort of observe something, we bring reality into being, and so that means you can't just rule out the observer if you're trying yeah, to an all-encompassing yeah. view of the universe so some brave souls have sort of started to try to reformulate physics essentially and cosmology to include subjective experience as a sort of physical constituent of the world which sounds bonkers because it is right <laughs> and it is fair to say that a lot of their suggestions are on the bewildering side of things um, but i like to think that it's at least sort of the right side of bewildering you know sometimes it, this story is not it's not going to help you have a better diet or help you sleep but it is just sort of really good to sometimes take people deep into some really difficult questions you know and Ex hopefully they come out an existential it. crisis at <laughs> yeah. that time between christmas and new year it might exactly. be good to read if you do wake up with insomnia and try to get through this story not that it not that it's, it's going to put you to sleep no not that it's going to put you to sleep it's a challenging piece of work it might tire you out at well the actually end. it's interesting that so one of the one of the insomnia and the insomnia feature one of the things that has been shown to work this new approach is to not focus on trying mm. to get to sleep but focus on staying awake so maybe read that feature try and stay awake and then you might get, get to sleep yeah and you know it's there's some pretty there's some pretty crazy stuff in there you know sort of one potential solution is to just which philosophers are proposing is to say that you know some form of consciousness however sort of fragmentary or rudimentary is is an intrinsic property of matter you know there's something called panpsychism yeah. a lot of physicists don't really yeah. like this they prefer the idea that actually you don't need to take loads of little bits of micro consciousness there's an idea called emergence you know where if you look at all the the different parts individually you don't see something but when you step back and see it as a whole you get these phenomena emerging and so they think that could save you know physicalism this idea that you can explain everything in physical terms and then there's there's other people who are sort of going a bit more radical and saying particularly in, in the cosmological realm to say well actually we need to rethink it and say that events and the relationships between events are the fundamental stuff of the cosmos rather than objects in space-time. And that will sort of help us make progress from where we are now. Wow. I'm mm. not quite sure I could get that my head around that last bit. But... Well, it's not easy to get your head <laughs> no. around, but it's kind of similar to what Carlo Rovelli says though. with his relational quantum mechanics. He's saying, like, you know, the best way to understand the world is, is not by the objects, but the relations between those objects, basically. Mm. Which is all intriguing stuff and all very difficult to sort of prove experimentally. But, you know, like you say, it takes you into these, into into the way that theoretical physicists think. And I think that's sometimes a bit of a, you know, a tonic. Yeah. And uh, what I like about this whole uh, approach is, like like you mentioned, Anil Seth, and it's breaking down the problem into small parts and solving them all. And then eventually you'll get there and not, not I, I prefer that method than... Mm. 
sort of going, throwing your hands up, saying there's a hard problem. Yeah. Oh, 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 running around going, we don't know what quailia are and, mm. you know, and freaking out about it. So, yeah, though, I guess that's that's the problem of trying to explain consciousness Whereas this is trying to explain what role consciousness has in the universe. Yeah. So yeah. they're kind of, yeah, they're different things. And we don't get into the, the explaining consciousness too much in this. It's more of a departure to get into the... Yeah. Well, I salute you for finding yeah. another angle on the, the consciousness <laughs> So story. just in a nutshell, is, is the universe conscious? I mean, I w there's absolutely no evidence to suggest it is, and lots of um, very reputable people think it's a, a bit of a mad idea, but I must admit I'm quite partial to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll um, end our roundup there. That's fantastic. Uh, look, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Kat. And thanks, Ali. Um, look, and I, I want to take the opportunity again to say, you know, well done on what you do every week, because creating these pieces of work like three original pieces any one of them really sometimes you feel like there's a, a book's worth of research has gone into them distilled down into a few pages and we have three of them a week every week so it's an amazing thing that you do so thank you well done and they're all free or well, five of them are free at the moment so go over to newscientist.com and get them while you can thanks for listening to the podcast over the year as well do subscribe at the usual place and we'll see you next year. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.